0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. We continue with the theme, Eyes on Jesus, with a special focus, on murderous eyes. In fact, tonight we can say the words of Jesus before the Sanhedrin. We continue our service with the Passion History reading according to the four Gospels, and we hear of Jesus being condemned to death. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion, I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore I will punish him and then release him. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release the prisoner chosen by the crowd. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate said to them, "'It is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. "'Which of the two do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, the King of the Jews?' who is called Christ. Pilate knew it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting at the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, because I have suffered a great deal today in a dream on account of him. But the chief priests and the elders stirred up the crowd and persuaded them to ask for Barabbas, "'and to have Jesus executed. "'Which of the two do you want me to release to you?' asked the governor. "'With one voice they cried out, "'Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us!' "'Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. "'Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. "'What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ, "'the one you call the King of the Jews?' Crucify him, they shouted. Crucify him, crucify him. For a third time he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I will have him punished and then release him. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And their shouts prevailed. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace of the governor, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head, put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him, worshipping. They spit on him and, and struck him in the face and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. They mocked him and began to call out to him, Hail! King of the Jews. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted we have a law, and according to that law he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you have no power over me that was not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar's. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week. About the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, Pilate granted their demand, wanting to satisfy the crowd. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas, the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder and had Jesus flogged. He then surrendered Jesus to their will to be crucified. The soldiers of the governor took off the purple robe And put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus. He was passing by on his way in from the country. They seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed Jesus, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for those, for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? This is the word of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. We'll read verses 1 through 2, as well as verses 53 through 65. It was two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The chief priests and the experts in the law were looking for some deceptive way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Certainly not during the festival, they said, or there will be a riot among the people. They led Jesus away to the high priest. All the chief priests, the elders, and the experts in the law gathered together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. He was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus in order to put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. Yet even on this point, their testimony did not agree. The high priest stepped forward and questioned Jesus. Have you no answer? What is this they are testifying against you? But Jesus was silent and did not answer anything. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, Jesus said, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, and coming with the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his robes and said, Why do we need any more witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as being worthy of death. Then some began to spit on him. They covered his face and struck him with their fists, saying, Prophesy. The guards also took him and beat him. This is the word of the Lord your brothers and sisters in Christ and heirs of everlasting life. I just today pulled up on Google is what is a kangaroo court. And I've used the term over the years, but really didn't know where the term actually came from. Supposedly, it's a term that's used to describe a judge who jumps from place to place, not necessarily to serve justice, or to see who's right and wrong, but rather, one who jumps from place to place, trying to get as many trials as he can in a day. So justice was not the name of the game, and that became known as a kangaroo court. And the definition I found was this. An unofficial court held by a group of people in order to try someone regarded, especially without good evidence, As guilty of a crime or misdemeanor. And this definition fits perfectly what happened to Jesus when he went before it was actually the second trial. Because the first one was with Annas, but then Annas sent him to his son in law, who was actually the appointed high priest. Annas was retired, and the new high priest was Caiaphas. And now Jesus is before the Sanhedrin, which is actually made up of 71 gentlemen, of also of very political and different even beliefs. There were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They made up the majority of the council, 70 of them with the 71st one being the high priest himself, who was to always serve as a judge. Now when it comes to justice, you would think that common sense dictates that justice would require a justice would, would require justice. It would require being just and right, that a justice system, that a court system would certainly look at the evidence and 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 then based on that evidence come up with a verdict and, and based on that, you know, convict and condemn the guilty and, and set the innocent free. But so often court isn't always like that. And it certainly wasn't that way for Jesus. Without a doubt, I would definitely say that what happened to Jesus, his trial before the Sanhedrin, was a kangaroo court. And I base it on three reasons. The biggest one is being that they held the court at night. All court business was to be held during work hours, which was always 6 in the morning to 6 at night. This is very late Thursday, probably even very early Friday morning. This was actually illegal, what they were doing, by holding this, this kangaroo court. But the reason that they were doing it this way is the original intent was not to arrest Jesus during the Passover. Because there was a large amount of crowds and, and they didn't want to have problems with the crowds. Many sided with Jesus and were his followers. But when Judas presented an opportunity to betray Jesus quietly, which took place at Gethsemane, and he betrayed him with a kiss, that meant that the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, the high priest himself had to move quickly and they did. So they call a session. How many of the guys were actually there, we don't know. But we do know this, that everything was backwards, which really is another reason why this was a kangaroo court. You always start with looking at the evidence, and from the evidence, that determines your verdict. But instead, they already came up with the verdict. The verdict is he must die. So now they're bringing in witnesses Uh, And they're trying to bring up evidence to help support the fact that he is worthy of death. But even the witnesses didn't even agree. In fact, the Old Testament law of Moses demanded that when it comes to a witness or a false accusation against, or any accusation against somebody, that it has to be made with at least two or three witnesses, that one person bringing up an accusation was supposed to be kicked out of court, not even listened to by the judge. But all these accusations are coming, and all these accusations um, are not making any sense. The, The testimonies are not agreeing. And even when they did get one to agree, even when they probably did come up with two or three witnesses, Then they came up with this whole concept of, well, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. Jesus didn't say these words. They were totally taken out of contents. Well, he said something similar. In fact, early in his ministry, when he flipped over the money changer tables and 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 announce that you're treating this house of prayer like a den of thieves. He spoke and said publicly, destroy this temple and I will and I will rebuild it in three days. He never talked about actually destroying the temple himself. And in fact, we know he was talking about his body. And then later when Jesus was talking to his disciples about Judgment Day. He will bring up that one stone will not be left on another. And then he went on to describe the temple being built in three days, once again referring to his body. But that was done privately. He didn't announce that publicly. So where they came up with this, it's understandable that scripture tells us here, that even this testimony did not agree. The law of Moses, by the way, and it was God that gave Moses the law. It required that if a witness came forward and broke the eighth commandment, which says do not bear false witness against your neighbor, then the punishment for false witnessing was to be the same punishment that... Would have been given to the innocent man if he had been guilty, and since Jesus was being condemned to death, every one of these witnesses, according to the law, should have faced death. This is a kangaroo court. Seeing that everything is getting out of control and that maybe and and things were not succeeding as Caiaphas was hoping. Now we come to the third reason why I call this a kangaroo court. You have now the judge playing the role of the prosecuting attorney. He takes the lead. He is the one who speaks up to the group and and even asks Jesus, what are these things that they're saying about you? But Jesus wouldn't answer. And Jesus did this several times. That when accusations and false accusations were constantly being shot at him over and over again, instead of getting into a he said, she said type situation or 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 simply you're not going to take me at my word or even they're just going to take my words and use them against me, Jesus would actually keep silent. But then came this question. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one, In other words, are you the son of God? Remember, Peter had actually said almost the exact same words when Jesus asked his disciples several months before this, who do you say I am? And Peter, on behalf of the group, replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Are you the son of the blessed one? And this Jesus wouldn't remain silent on. Jesus would reply, I am. Not the normal word yes, but I am. The very word that was used by the Lord God to Moses at the burning bush. I am who I am. You say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. When Moses asked, who should I say is sending me? I am. And these religious leaders, they would have made that connection. That that would have pricked their ears. And yet Jesus didn't stop there. He said, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. We hear of the sitting on the right hand in Psalm 110, but we hear of this term, Son of Man, was a term used as a title for the Messiah in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, where we hear the Son of Man before the Ancient of Days and before the throne. Out of all the titles that Jesus could have used, he used Son of Man, certainly emphasizing his humanity, but no doubt emphasizing and using it as basically saying, I am the Messiah. I am the one that was prophesied long ago. The priest, the high priest, tore his robe. And by the way, that is even illegal against the law of Moses. The priest was never to tear his robe. And then they all joined in condemning him because this is blasphemy. And once again, according to the law of Moses, if if you were blaspheming, then that was worthy of death by stoning. But they couldn't stone him because they didn't have that authority anymore because they were under the Roman rule. So the plan was then to take Jesus to Pontius Pilate and have him crucify him. And the Romans' way of execution was, nailing the man to the cross. And until that time, until they could take him over to Pilate, they didn't waste the time. Oh no, they, they hit him, they beat at him, they blindfolded him, now prophesy to say who's hitting me. Even the guards got in on it. And just keep in mind that Jesus was innocent. He had done nothing wrong. He didn't blaspheme. His miracles proved over and over that he is the Son of God, our Savior. There's a question in my Bible information class. And every time I go through my Bible information class, every lesson has what's called the quickie quiz, 10 little statements And they're all true and false. Some of them can actually be both. They're really meant for discussion. I always have to be careful to tell people that because I had someone years ago say to me, Pastor, I keep flunking the uh, quizzes so I'm a horrible Christian. They're not meant to rate your Christianity just to have discussion. And one of the discussion questions that has always stuck with me is true or false? The Jews killed Jesus. It sounds rather anti-Semitic. If you start saying the Jews, did all the Jews want Jesus dead? Obviously not. But the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, clearly did, or the majority of them clearly did. They wanted Jesus dead. So yes, you could put true. But then again, you could argue, but it was the Romans who nailed him to the cross, so they actually killed him. And you can't argue that one as well. Did all the Romans want him dead? Well, not all the Romans even knew him. But certainly those that were involved carrying out the order of Pontius Pilate, and even though Pilate would wash his hands and says, I'm innocent of this man's blood, we confess in the Apostles' Creed that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. And Pilate can't wash his hands of this one. But the honest truth is, wouldn't the statement also be true that we've all put Jesus to death because this very Savior is going to the cross to sacrifice his very life for the sins of the world. God took this murderous evil act done by murderous eyes and turned it into a sacrifice for sins. It was our sins that put Jesus to the cross. It was our sins that Jesus is paying for. And because it was our sins that Jesus is dying for, we are guilty of our sins. We deserve to be condemned because of our sins. And not just the sinful things we do, but Jesus is even dying. With the very sinful nature we inherited we are sinners who need a savior and I find it amazing this, that in this entire lesson what Jesus says when the opportunity was there to confess the truth of who he really is he took advantage of it all the other accusations he kept silent on they weren't worthy of his attention, but to confess his holy name, that he would not hesitate to do. I truly believe that what Jesus is doing here is truly amazing, because as he answers that question, I am, with an I am, that he's reaching out to these poor precious souls who don't understand what they're doing. They're being deceived by Satan himself. And yet Jesus would still reach out to them. In fact, it was Jesus who also paid for their sins. And the same Jesus paid for ours. This is why we can't thank him enough for all that he has done for us. None of us are worthy to even deserve heaven and let alone be told your sins are forgiven. But knowing that Jesus paid for those sins, suffered the punishment that we deserve, death itself. He suffered hell. He heard from the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because sin separates us from God. And he was not suffering for his sins. He was perfect and holy. He was suffering for our sins. He was carrying the sins of the world. And in so doing, He won for us that forgiveness. And even though I don't deserve it, thank you, Jesus, for that payment. Thank you, Jesus, for that hope. Thank you, Jesus, for that peace that is mine because of the cross of Christ that paid for my sins think of Jesus as simply an example and that if you live the kind of life he lived you too will have great success in your life because God will have to bless you don't think of Jesus that way he's certainly an example the things that he did we could certainly learn from but we see more than an example we see our savior and without our savior We are totally lost, but because of him, we are saved. Every day is another day to rejoice that we are saved. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.